You're listening to Witch Wednesdays, your weekly podcast source for all things witchcraft in the modern world. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph, and today's episode is going to be about chaos magic. Chaos magic has been mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. It was in the very first or second, I think, episode of this year where I talked about the methods of magic in the idea of gnosis, which comes from chaos magic, and a couple of guests have mentioned it. So I wanted to cover what chaos magic is, where it comes from, and then its six principles. So you have a better idea and understanding of what actually it is. And I do think that more of us practice some form, a little bit of chaos magic than we realize. So chaos magic is a contemporary magical practice. It was initially developed in England in the 1970s, drawing heavily from the philosophy of artist and occultist Austin Osman Spare, sometimes referred to as success magic or results-based magic, Chaos magic claims to emphasize the attainment of specific results over the symbolic, ritualistic, theological, or otherwise ornamental aspects of other occult traditions. Peter J. Carroll is frequently credited with inventing chaos magic, or at least the concept of it. He organized a variety of chaos magic groups in the late 1970s and 80s, although he eventually separated from them. His books on the subject are considered standard reading for those interested in the subject of chaos magic. The works of Austin Osmond Spare are also considered foundational reading for those interested in chaos magic. Spare died in the 1950s before Carroll started writing, and Spare did not address an entity called chaos magic, but many of his magical beliefs have been incorporated into the theory of chaos magic. Spare was particularly interested in the influence of psychology on magical practice when psychology was just starting to be taken seriously. So as you can likely already see, chaos magic is difficult to define because definitions are composed of different components. And by definition, chaos magic has no common components. Chaos magic is about using whatever ideas and practices are helpful to you at the moment, even if they contradict the ideas and practices that you used previously. In other practices, there may be other important parts like connecting with deity or nature, meditation, quieting your mind. But in chaos magic, the only thing that matters is the result. It has to work. Your mind is the sole power, not the herbs or crystals or sigils. It is a very DIY system and you have to do whatever works rather than what's prescribed in any sort of rule book. So it's inherently chaotic rather than ordered. It's also very agnostic. There is not much of a divinity component to chaos magic. And some people associate chaos magic with anarchy, but it's really more about freedom and not limiting yourself as a person, not limiting your workings, and not limiting your worldviews. So a lot of people have the question of what is chaos magic versus eclectic witchcraft because they kind of sound the same. And there are many eclectic magical practitioners and even religious practices. In both cases, a person borrows from multiple sources to construct a new personal system that speaks to them specifically. In chaos magic, a personal system is never developed. What applied yesterday may be irrelevant today. All that matters today is what is used today. Experience can help chaos magicians figure out 
what would most likely be useful, but they are never confined by the concept of tradition or even coherence. To try something out of the ordinary, out of the box, outside of whatever paradigm within which you normally work, that is chaos magic. But if the results become codified, then it stops being chaos magic. The idea behind the power of belief is a little bit different in chaos magic versus eclectic witchcraft as well. And the power of belief is important in many magical schools of thought, of course. Magicians impose their will upon the universe, convinced that the magic will work for it to actually work. This approach to magic involves telling the universe what it will do. It's not as simple or as just asking or hoping for it to do something. I think we all have that sort of understanding. But chaos magicians must believe in whatever context they are using and then cast aside that belief later so that they are open to new approaches. But for them, belief is not something that you reach after a series of experiences. It's a vehicle for those experiences, which they self-manipulate to further a goal. So, for example, (laughs) eclectic practitioners might use an athame, which is the ritual knife, because they are drawing from systems that generally use athames, like Wicca. There are standard purposes for athames, so if the magician wants to do one of those actions, it would make sense to use an athame, because they believe that that is the purpose of that ritual knife. A chaos magician, on the other hand, decides that an athame will work for his or her current undertaking, and then they embrace that fact with complete conviction for the duration of the undertaking. So the difference there is really where that belief comes from and the power of the mind. A lot of eclectic practitioners have the ritual knife and believe in the ritual knife because they have studied that in various books, whether that is Wiccan or otherwise. A lot of witchcraft practices have that idea of an athame, idea of a ritual knife and how that can work and how that can help manifest your spells. The chaos magician doesn't need any of that training or thought behind it or reasons why they think it might work. All they know is this knife is going to work for this particular purpose. There's no you know, basis or history or study behind it. They just have complete conviction that it's going to work. And if it does not, they will drop it. And the next day, pick up the knife and use it for something completely different that eclectic practitioners would not use a ritual knife for. And before we dive into the six principles, I think it's also important to note that chaos magic is generally much less complex than ceremonial magic. Because as it relates to that power of belief, ceremonial magic depends on specific beliefs, old occult teachings, about how the universe operates and how things relate to one another. And ceremonial magic generally references you know, ancient texts like the Bible, Kabbalah, wisdom from the ancient Greeks, but none of that matters in chaos magic. Tapping into magic is totally personal, willful, and psychological. So the six principles of chaos magic. I know it's counterintuitive to think that a system based on having no rules has six principles, but this is what chaos magicians follow within their practice. The first is avoid dogmatism. And chaos magicians believe that there is no fundamental truth except this. Everyone is the bearer of his own truth. And they are known for the maxim Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. The first part of that sentence is from Nietzsche. The second is Dostoevsky. And it was put together by Aleister Crowley. So chaos magicians believe that people who hold on to a strict dogma 
will deny evidence that would prove them wrong. So they'll twist anything to prove themselves right. So this first principle is set in place so that magical practitioners don't fall into any of those delusions. And they know that it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to contradict something that you once believed in. It's okay to change your mind. And it's okay to do all of those things because you are a human and you are still growing. So it's very typical in chaos magic for somebody to adopt a temporary belief system for a working and then drop it. It's all about avoiding dogma and being free to change your mind. So this is sometimes where criticism comes in because a lot of people will adopt a Christian mindset to call on a Catholic saint or they will call on a you know, Greek deity and not have established that relationship or you know, that working partnership and instead just call on them for that one working and then drop it and then they don't believe in that anymore. So you have to decide how you feel about that, whether that fits into your chaos magic process or if you want to not invoke saints or deities or anything altogether. Um, but some chaos magicians will operate in that way. The second principle is that personal experience is paramount and that you should learn from your experience. So this one is fairly straightforward. It's just that you have to trust your experience. So it doesn't matter if you know somebody else tells you that this spell works, that this herb has this certain correspondence or this color works for them for whatever reason. If you have experienced something to the contrary, then you should trust your own experience over what anyone else has to say. If it works for you, it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I think that can be applied to a lot of non-magical workings as well. The third principle is about technical excellence. So this one is to help you figure out exactly what works and what does not. So it is about taking notes, which applies. To, I always talk about that, keeping a grimoire, book of shadows. And so it applies all over, all across the board of whatever type of magic you practice. But it is about taking notes when you do rituals, figuring out what you prepared, what you did during, what happened afterward, just making note of absolutely everything so you have a record of what you did and if it truly worked. Because that is the basis of chaos magic. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. So it's about being as meticulous as possible in your documentation of everything that you undertake. Principle number four is deconditioning. And that is encouraging you to doubt as much as possible about what surrounds you, notably from a philosophical perspective. So it's about evaluating yourself, tearing down the lies that you tell about yourself, shedding layers of ego and false self, and looking at what you truly believe and what you project out into the world and destroy anything else until you have your true self. So it is a lot like shadow work. Principle number five is the diversity and to use diverse approaches. It goes along with principle number one about the dogma, and it's just encouraging you to try absolutely everything and anything. So this is where it is very much like an eclectic system. You can use sigils or charm bags or the tarot or different belief systems. Just note everything and find what works for you, but it's going to be a very eclectic set of your own personal magical tools rather than the ones that are used by any particular religion or witchcraft tradition. And finally, principle number six is gnosis. I talked about Gnosis again in that first episode this year, and Gnosis means an altered state of consciousness that can be used for magic. So it's where the mind is focused on one point, one thought or goal, and all other thoughts are rejected. The Gnostic state is used to bypass the filter of the conscious mind, and therefore invites us to travel into 
you know, different states of consciousness to gather as much spiritual information as possible. And these Gnostic states can be triggered either through inhibitory gnosis, and that's when you're in a deep meditation or like a trance state of mind, or ecstatic or stimulating gnosis. And that is reaching a state during intense emotions or singing or dancing or drumming. So two opposite ends of the spectrum there, but both to get into that Gnostic state. And the last thing that I wanted to touch on in this shorter episode about chaos magic is the idea of servitors because that has been really popular lately for some reason. I don't know why, but all of a sudden I got an influx of questions about servitors. So I don't know where that is coming from. If you have any idea, let me know where that suddenly got popular. But a servitor comes from chaos magic as well. It is not found only in chaos magic, but the two often go hand in hand. So servitor is another term for a thought form entity. It's generally thought that by doing this type of magic, this chaos magic and this gnosis, you have created a grouping of similar thoughts and it could gain a sophistication so that it can appear to operate autonomously. As a side note, poltergeists can sometimes be formed this way. And poltergeists are often your feelings projected outwards. So that's like the negative um, effects, like a negative servitor. So if you have, you know, bad feelings, negativity, you know, scared, whatever that is, and you project that outward strongly enough, you can create a poltergeist. But chaos magic practitioners create servitors intentionally, and they create them to carry out a specific task. It is thought of as a temporary assistant, which serves you and you alone with something very specific, and then it is destroyed. There is a longer term version, um, which is more like a companion and more like has emotions, and that is called a tulpa. So that is something totally different. We're just talking servitors. And servitors are, are quite different. They don't have emotions. They don't think like you and I do. So it, it, if you're bothered by the idea of it getting destroyed and, and returning to its source, then they're probably not for you. But it's not something like an animal where it's essentially being killed. So there are many purposes that a servitor can serve. A very popular one is home protection. They will patrol your property and not let any negative entities in. And they're really only activated when something negative tries to cross your boundaries. So a lot of people will um, have servitors in the figurines that they have on their front porch. So some people have those big fake dogs um, and that will house their servitors. They can also help you with finding a home, finding a job. They help you do research sort of by bringing things to your attention. So they will help you, you know, find a job by bringing job openings to your attention that you would have otherwise missed. So lots of different ways that a servitor can work for you and help assist you in a task. And it's similar to calling on a spirit or a deity for their assistance, but servitors are believed to be your own unconscious thoughts. So uh, there's a great video about this from the occultist over on YouTube. I I love her. She's really a lot of fun. And she has a video on chaos magic and servitors, so I will be sure to link her. But she described the unconscious 
thoughts in her head as gremlins. And I love that. She has a bunch of little gremlins running around in her subconscious and they want a job. And instead of just being gremlins and wreaking havoc up there, she assigns them a job and that is what her servitors are. She considers those little gremlins running around in her mind as servitors. And so she gives them a job and they are very excited to do a job and have something to do instead of just wreaking havoc. So the servitors are your consciousness. They're your you know, subconscious, the thoughts that you have created. So similar to how a spirit or deity could help you, a servitor could help you in the same way, but it is your own energy and your own grouping of thoughts. So hopefully that makes sense. But again, I will link other videos on this so you can come to your own conclusions. Some practitioners will have longer term servitors, but for the most part, they really should be short form only because they can grow in power until you can't control it anymore. And you really don't want that to happen. So just until the project is finished and then it's disintegrated and like I said, returned to its source, returned to the universe, wherever it is that you think the energy goes back to. Obviously the ones for home protection tend to last a little longer, but you could always you know, set the time for them as well. The important thing with servitors is to have the details and be very specific. So you want to know exactly all of the things that I'm about to list and you want to write them down. So you want to know what the purpose of the servitor is. You want it to have a start and end date. So the start date is going to be the day that you are creating it. And ideally you would like to have an end date in mind. So if, for example, you are using a servitor to help you find a job, the end date is once you get that job. And you want to list everything that it's capable of doing and what it cannot do. So this is just being very detailed and writing everything down. So you are sort of creating, it's not, you know, a contract, but you are just listing all of those things out. So it's very clear in your own mind. You might also want to have what's called a kill switch. That could be a freeze or sigil that you say or draw, and that will end the servitor immediately. So that's, you know, in case it starts growing in power and getting out of hand and you feel like you don't have control over it anymore, then you can end it immediately. A lot of people will give it a unique name and appearance, just so it's extra specific. And you also need to give it a place to live. So a figurine or a crystal, and it hangs out there until it's needed. So like I said, for home protection, a lot of people have those statues of dogs or even Anubis on their front porch. And that is the statue where your little home protector servitor can live in and hang out until it's needed for actually protecting your home. It's also important to note that you need to feed it. So it has the energy to work. So in the petition that you are writing, make sure that you write that down as well, whatever energy you're planning on feeding it. So everybody you know, feeds energy in a different way. Maybe that is you are promising it a certain incense and you are going to light a dragon's blood incense stick for it every other day. And that will be feeding it um, to keep its energy going or lighting a certain candle, whatever it is, some way you are feeding it energy, you are recognizing it. And so it has energy to work from. Again, it is a little bit of the trickier concept until you start getting your hands dirty and start you know, working on it, then it becomes a little bit more clear. But if you have any questions about servitors, then please let me know. And also in that same vein, egregores often come up um, in the you know same sentence. And 
egregores are the same thing, this like same thought form entity, but it's in a group setting, like a group or a covet. So it is, you know, an extra powerful thought entity that a group makes on purpose. A coven will make an egregore on purpose for, you know, any number of reasons. And then that thought form has the ability to uh, work that energy and to protect or whatever it is for, for that entire group. So similar things. It's just a servitor is your own and it responds only to you, works only for you, and an egregore is made in a group setting. But if you have any specific questions about servitors or egregores that you were wondering about that I did not answer, I didn't get any specific questions, just what is a servitor in general is the one that I have gotten so many times the last couple of weeks. So I wanted to cover that in particular, but if there is something specific that you needed to know about them, then please let me know, reach out over on you know Discord, Instagram, all of those places that I always have linked. Um, I am available. And also, if you want to hang out in the Discord server, there are some witches in there who practice chaos magic, so they will probably be able to answer your questions a lot better than I can. So that is everything that I have to share on chaos magic. It is, at the same time, confusing as it is incredibly simple. Uh, I know that when you're first starting out and you look into chaos magic, it seems like it's incredibly confusing because there are no systems, there's no beliefs, you're just adapting everything for yourself and then you can throw it out again the next day and a lot of us our, our minds just don't work that way but once you actually get started in it if you find that this practice really interests you this way of doing things there are a ton of resources online and it really does start to simplify once you get into it so if you have any questions about chaos magic absolutely let me know i am not uh, an expert in chaos magic beyond the you know, the research that I've done and the few little ways that I think that I do chaos magic in my own life. But there are people that I know on, you know, Instagram, YouTube, they have videos and podcasts that can really be helpful when figuring out chaos magic for yourself. So if you have questions, I can absolutely direct you to those people. As always, I will have resources over at whichwednesdays.com. So you can find the books that are usually considered you know, required reading on chaos magic. And I will link the few people that I know that are experts in this particular type of magic and this subject. But that is everything that I have for this week. I will see you next week. Need even more? Subscribe to Patreon and YouTube for exclusive bonus content. Order a themed witchcraft box every month through Witch Wednesdays on Etsy. Be sure to follow on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast. Find all these links and more at whichwednesdays.com.